Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight, if you look on the back of your prayer sheets, you should have one sheet that has a creed on it, and you have another sheet that has some Bible verses on it. We have been looking at, on Wednesday nights, creeds and confessions that summarize the Christian belief as it is given to us in Scripture, but we uh, use creeds and confessions to summarize the truths that really matter to uh, our lives. And I, I went through an extensive study of the Apostles' Creed, and if you missed any or all of that study, go to our YouTube page and then go to, I don't know, one of the things on there. Uh, I think it's the live one. You actually go to live and it has all the videos in, in order, but uh, you'll be able to find, find the videos there. Uh, or go to a, our podcast, I mean, all the audio is on there as well. But I went through the Apostles' Creed because the Apostles' Creed gives the briefest summary about the foundation of uh, the faith. It, I mean, this is bottom line. If you don't believe any of this stuff, then uh, you, you, you're not believing rightly because, I mean, this is the, the, the bare minimums. Well, tonight I want to look at a creed that is very similar to the Apostles' Creed. However, there are some very important and substantial additions made uh, to this creed because these additions were made because there were false teachings and doctrines that had begun to creep in to the church. And uh, this creed gives a summary of how the church decided on these important issues. You know, it's very interesting. A lot of where we find our summaries and definitions of what we believe, it, it, it's given in response to false teachers and in response to false teachings. Because there, ever, ever since even Christ was on the earth, there have been people who have tried to twist his teachings and twist who he is and twist the faith that we have. And, and you just think about the Bible itself. You know, Paul, several of his letters were written in response to false teachers. They were written to counteract false teachers that had infiltrated the churches that he had planted. And, and they tried to pervert the faith. And so Paul had to write the letters like, look, no, that they're teaching wrong. This is, this is what I had given you when I was there. Um, or you think of the book of Jude. You know, the book of Jude was written in response to the fact that there were people who snuck into the churches and began to change the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, they began to twist it. And so now, after the times of uh, Christ and the apostles, well, the church, it was given into the hands of the church. I mean, what, what is the truth? How do we interpret Scripture? How do we interpret the important theological truths? Well, the Apostles' Creed was given to summarize the basics of what it is that we believe. But now the creed that I'm looking at tonight is the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed expands on the beliefs uh, that were given in the Apostles' Creed, but it is done to counteract some false teachings that had risen up and started to pervert the truth that was handed down to the church, uh, you know, given by the Holy Spirit to the Apostles. And what would happen in the early years of the church early centuries of the church, if there was a controversy or if there was a problem within the church, 
church leaders would gather together, uh, form a church council, I guess you could say, and they'd work out the issue to make a decision. I mean, that, that's nothing new. If you consider in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, uh, the church leaders had to gather together in Jerusalem to counteract the Judaizers, and they, you know, come up with, well, okay, do you need to follow the law of Moses? Do you not need to follow the law of Moses? Do you need to be circumcised? Do you not? You know, the church leaders had to make the, the decision, okay, what was it that Jesus taught us? What has been handed down to us? And so then they made the decisions that they did there in Acts 15. Well, I mean, the church also had to do that in its early days. And in the 300 ADs, there was a controversy surrounding the nature of Christ. And, and the controversy centered around how he existed in relationship to the Father and, and the Holy Spirit and how this whole Trinity thing worked. The biggest uproar of the church at that time was brought by a man named Arius, who was an elder from Alexandria in Egypt, and he taught, he was putting out some false teachings there, and he taught that the Son of God did not always exist, but was created by God the Father at some point, although he may have said it was before the universe came into existence, but God the Son did not always exist. So that would mean that Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, was not co-eternal with God. And if you're not co-eternal with God, you're not God, right? So Arius was making Jesus less than God. And so he started making this big uproar, and he started spreading all these lies. And so in 325 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine convened a group of church leaders in the city of Nicaea to resolve this disagreement. Let's, let's get this figured out. So the church members, the church leaders met to, to go over the nature of Jesus and his relationship with the Father, and the Nicene Creed was then, you know, the statement that was born from what they did. It, it, the council formulated Okay, this is what the church believes. This is what we were taught. This is what Jesus said. This has been handed down to us from the apostles. This is what we believe about Jesus, about his nature, about uh, who he is, how, when he existed, how he existed. And so it gives us, you know, what we would consider, the, we would consider it the normal orthodox teachings. Uh, but it was a big controversy in that day and so then the council repudiated Arius and called him and all his followers heretics and you know they were booted out of the church and things like that now the Nicene Creed gives that summary and then later on uh, the, another council the council of Const Constantinople would expand the Nicene Creed a little bit especially concerning what it says about um, the Holy Spirit and so uh, you know, it was written down for us. It was originally written in Greek, translated into Latin, and from there it's been translated into English. There's, so, you know, there's several different uh, English translations with slight variations. I mean, it's just like Bible translations. You know, the ESV differs from the NIV and a little bit here and there, but it's, you know, translating the same words. But, you know, the gist is, is the same. So like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed is split into three sections, 
all corresponding to members of the Trinity. Although there's significant additions to each, um, most of the sections, especially about Christ, though, uh, from the Apostles' Creed. Tonight, I'm just going to highlight some of the most important additions what, and, and why they're important. So let's first look at uh, the first section of uh, the Nicene Creed. It has to do with God the Father, and it's nice, short, and concise, just like the Apostles' Creed. It says, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And so that's pretty much the same as the Apostles' Creed, just that with an emphasis that God created everything that, that everything that is not God, God created. Whether they're visible, whether they're invisible, whether they're the earthly universe, whether it's the heavenly realm, Everything that is outside of God was created by God. All the angels and all the heavenly beings and living creatures and cherubim and seraphim and whatever else that, you know, that, that designations are given to the heavenly beings. He created them, all of man and all the universe and all the planets and all the galaxies. He created it all. Well, the creed continues with the section on Christ. The first, section, the first part of the section on Christ says... We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. And this is where I'm going to spend most of my time. This has the most important section because this is where the council had to come together and, and make clear what we believe about Jesus Christ. What does the Christian church believe about the Son of God and his nature especially in relation to God the Father. Well, in summary, they're saying God the Father and God the Son with the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in the Holy Spirit section, they share in the Godhead. They are unique persons within the Godhead. Now, the only problem is trying to explain this in human language. Human language is so incapable sometimes of, des of describing that which is eternal. And so they did the best that they could. And this is, this is what we got. Now we first notice that the creed emphasizes that Jesus was the unique son of God, meaning he's the only one. There is no, well, here's a son of God and here's a son of God in that same sense, unlike what the Mormons teach that say that Jesus and Lucifer were both sons of God. And um, that's a whole another mess. But they're saying Jesus is the unique Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. And, you know, it emphasizes that he was begotten, not made. What they're saying is that Jesus, the Son of God, was not some creature that the Father made outside of himself. I mean, that was the part of the Arian heresy. I mean, Jesus, God the Son, was not of the same essence as the Father but was something that was created later by the Father. It kind of reminds me of what Jehovah's Witnesses say. That, because Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was Michael the Archangel, a created being. Well, I mean, in essence, the Arians were saying, well, Jesus was a created being. And the creed says, no, Jesus was not a created being. His human person was begotten of the Father, but he has eternally been God the Son. And it's using language that comes straight from Scripture. 
and you know I have some of those on the on the verse list that you have I've used the legacy standard Bible translation as opposed to the ESV like normal just because its language uh, reflects a little bit more like the Nicene Creed so for example I mean John three sixteen, the most famous verse God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son only only begotten whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life and two verses later John three eighteen, he who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God and we see again in John John is the one that has some of the highest theology of Christ uh, of Christology in 1 John 4, 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And so here, you know, we tread very carefully as we wade into this mystery of the divine nature of the son of God and the human nature of Jesus coming together and not losing either nature, either essence. I mean, he's 100% God, he's 100% man. And, and that's just a, a mystery, and we hold on to it. We want to make sure we, we don't fall into, into the Arian heresy. Um, and, and so we look out, you know, we're, we are confirming Jesus is God. Jesus is of the same nature. Jesus is of the same essence. Because the Arians said, well, yeah, he, he's divine in a sense, but he didn't live eternally well that makes him less than god he the, the arians believed that jesus was a god of some sort but they did not believe that he was the god because he was not eternal like the god and so in the best way that they could the council expressed that jesus was the god who eternally existed with a father meaning that god has eternally existed as the trinity triune God and so to make their just to make their point I mean they kind of use they they state the same truth in several different ways because I mean again human language you can only do so much with it so they tell us that Jesus is eternally begotten he's eternal and then they state that Jesus is God from God he is God from God this reminds us of the the introduction to John's gospel in John 1 verses 1 and 2 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so Jesus is God, but he's also a unique personality within the Godhead because he is a different person from the Father. The creed says that Jesus is light from light, true God from true God. And so, you know, they're trying to find every possible way to say that Jesus is God. But then we come to a very important theological phrase. It's translated in English in different ways. Um, the translation of the creed that I provided said, gives this phrase, he is of one being with the Father. Other translations will say he is uh, say he, being of one substance with the Father or co-substantial with the Father. Because, and that's an important phrase there because it counteracts what the Arians were saying. The, the, the council was trying to make clear this is what the Bible says about Jesus. And remember, this was written in Greek. And that was, the, that was the language, trade language of the day, just like English is for us today. 
the difference between what the Arians were teaching and what the council came down to came down to one Greek letter. They, the Arians used one word, the council used a different word, and the only difference is one Greek letter. The Arians used the word homoiousios, H-O-M-O-I-O-U-S-I-O-S, and the council used the word homoousios, H-O-M-O-O-U-S-I-O-S. The only difference is the letter I, or in the Greek, the uh, iota, which is the smallest letter in, in the Greek. One small letter. One small letter made the difference between heresy and orthodoxy. So what's the, what does it mean? What's the difference? Well, the Arians, the word that the Arians used said that Jesus is of a similar substance to the Father. Meaning, I mean, they taught that Jesus was kind of, sort of like God the Father, but not really. He was kind of like God the Father, but not really of the same nature. Wrong. The word that the council used, found in the creed, and you know, I, the ways that, that I said it was translated, it means that he is of the same substance. Like our version says, of one being with the Father. It declares that Jesus is the same nature and essence as God the Father. As far as the Godhead, the substance of the Godhead is concerned, I mean, that's a weird word to use, substance, but I mean, that's what theologians use. You know, whatever makes God, God, Jesus has it. Both Father and Son have it. So why is that important? Okay, woo, we had this big theological discussion. Who cares? Why is that important? It's important because if Jesus is less than what we say he is, he would not have been able to be our Savior. He would not have been able to provide salvation. If Jesus was not both eternal God and completely human, he wouldn't have been able to satisfy God's wrath. He wouldn't have been able to represent humanity. He would not be able to be the mediator between God and man. If the Arians had their way, if the Arians had won this fight somehow, we know God wouldn't allow that to happen, but if the Arians had somehow won that fight, we would all be lost because a Savior who is not God is no Savior at all. And so, yes, the nature of Christ is very important. Who he is is very important. And the council sorted that out for us to make sure we understood. And then, you know, they continue to summarize Christ's life, ministry, and sacrifice, uh, which is very similar to the Apostles' Creed. But, okay, this is who Jesus is. Now this is what he has done. It says, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was cru crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And so that's all very similar to the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was really God, and he really became a human, and he really died, and he really rose, and he really ascended, and he really is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He really is sovereignly ruling from heaven, and he really will return one day, and he really will rule over 
an eternal kingdom that will have no end. Yeah, you know what? Without that, without that faith, there is no salvation. Without that faith, I mean, we're lost as can be if we don't hold to this truth about Jesus. Now, the rest of the creed ends with the Holy Spirit. And again, they, they want to ensure we, we know that the Holy Spirit is, is as much God, part, you know, is, I don't want to say part of God, there is no parts to God. The Holy Spirit is as much a member of the triune Godhead as Father and Son. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, and remember that word means universal. We're not all turning Roman Catholics here or anything like that. Just remember that, that word Catholic there, small c, universal. We believe in one holy, universal, an apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And so they, they are defining for us and what it means for, for the, us to believe in the triune God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. There was one small change that was made to the creed a few years, uh, well, a few centuries after the Council of Constantinople because it originally said that he proceeds from the Father, but it didn't say that he proceeds from the Son. And I won't get it all, into all the reasons why they at first uh, omitted that, but the Bible does speak of the Father and the Son both sending the Holy Spirit to believers. For example, in John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so the Father is going to send the Spirit. But then later, in John 15, 26, Jesus says, When the Advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Uh, and you might not think that's a big deal, okay? Well, so as long as the Holy Spirit is sent, hey, we don't care who sends him. But again, this points to Christ being the eternal God. The Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Son sends the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That means they're, they're equal. That means that they are both God. They are both eternal. Yes, the, the identity of Christ is so important. And even today, the identity of Christ is being twisted. You know, you, you, you read this, you hear me talk about all these beliefs and all these summaries and a lot of history tonight, and you're like, who cares? I'll tell you who cares. We care. Because if we don't believe rightly in Christ, we don't have a Savior. And there are so many people out there who are giving us false Christs. You know, that's the, that's the whole term, antichrist, means a... Well, for lack of a better term, the word antichrist means a replacement Christ and instead of Christ. And John says that the spirit of antichrist was already out there and that John also writes that there are many antichrists. I mean, I know everyone's thinking, oh, there's this big bad at the end of the age. There's been antichrists all throughout the history of the church and there are antichrists out there today because they are false Christs. They are, represent, they are being represented as false Christ. And we need to know the right Christ personally for salvation. And we need to pray for those who don't. 
We need to pray against those who are teaching a false Christ because they are misrepresenting our Lord. And I ain't going to stand for it because they are sending people to hell with their false Christ, their anti-Christ. We need to make sure we know the real Christ and then we need to make sure that we are sharing the real Christ. And we need to pray for those who don't know the real Christ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.